new from Metal Blade Records, Amon Amarth return with the Great Heathen Army. It's out August 5th, recorded with the Steam Studio guru Andy Sneap at the controls. The Great Heathen Army represents another bold leap for the band as their trademark sound undergoes yet another skillful evolutionary overhaul, both lyrically and musically. Watch both of the new music videos for Get in the Ring and the title track. Plus, claim your copy now at MetalBlade.com slash Amon Amarth. Once again, Amon Amarth's latest, The Great Heathen Army, is out August 5th. Pick it up, MetalBlade.com slash Amon Amarth. And don't you forget, coming this September, Revocation's new album, Nether Heaven, sees the band in absolute peak form. The album is dedicated to the memory of Trevor Sternad and includes guest vocals from the late singer as well as Corpse Grinder on the track, Re-Crucified. Watch videos, listen, and read about the album right now at MetalBlade.com slash Revocation. Nether Heaven hits digital and physical shelves on September 9th, guys, so make sure you're picking up Revocation's latest record, Nether Heaven. Go to MetalBlade.com slash Revocation. Hey everybody, it's me, Jocelyn. I am so stoked to tell you I'm recording my first ever comedy special live in Fort Collins, Colorado, September 1st at the Comedy Fort. Patrick Richardson is featuring for me. It's a Laugh After Dark production. You'll be able to see it on Amazon, but you know you want to see it live. So come see me in Fort Collins, September 1st at the Comedy Fort. You can get your tickets at wizardofjaws.com. That's wizardofjoz.com. I love you guys. This is the Metal Sucks Podcast with your hosts, Petter Speich, Jocelyn Sharp, and Sylvia Alvarado. Metal Sucks Podcast. What is going on, everybody out there? It is I, your host, Petter Speich. I am always joined by... Jocelyn Sharp. You can find me everywhere on the internet at wizardofjaws.com, like Wizard of Oz, but with a J. Um, yeah, I tell you guys this every week. You know how to type. You know how to use a computer. Go find me. J-O-Z. And make sure to follow our other co-hosts who are not with us this week. That is Sylvia Alvarado on Twitter and Instagram at It's the Sylvia. And of course, your buddy Gooch. That's Brandon Hahn at your buddy Gooch on Twitter and Instagram. If you guys want to follow me, I'm at our other podcast handle. That is at Rise to Offend on Facebook and Twitter. Rise to Offend official on Instagram. This week, oh, the joy, the joy that I had. Even get to, to talk to such a legendary figure. I can't tell you how much. Danny Elfman is going to grace our show this week. We get to interview him to promote, man, an album I cannot stop listening to that is bigger, messier, the reimagined and remixed tracks from last year's Big Mess. It is coming out August 12th, guys. We're going to play a couple tracks after my interview. Hang in there. Do not miss this one. It's a joy to talk to Danny. But before we do that, as always, we're going to talk a little bit about that Metal Sucks news. All right. First news story. Me and Jocelyn are going to tackle right now. Corn guitarist, head. Great dude. Nice guy. Lovable person. Got the chance to meet him back in the day, and he was super sweet to me, and he signed things. So he's. Uh, I, I always have a nice place in my heart for head. He said recently that the metal community is so inclusive now. 
I'm not saying he's wrong. Okay. He's wrong. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna let you do your your version. We are we're the metal community is and being inclusive has gone in the right direction trending for the last 10 years. Okay, easy. Maybe more. Um but there is always going to be a stigma over us of how we were when we were large and in charge. When the metal community ruled, we weren't really that inclusive. And that stigma still kind of floats about us, you know. There's still stuff as like, you know, NS there's still the National Socialist Black Metal bands out there. That's part of no metal. community. Yeah, no community is immune. No community is immune from assholes. There's not one community on this earth that is immune from having assholes within it. And I have been a female metal fan my whole life, and I can tell you how non-inclusive it is. I used to be able to walk up to a group of like guys at a metal show and they would all grill me on my metal knowledge, but no one of the other, a guy could walk up and have like a t-shirt on. Nobody would care. Nobody would say anything to him. They would just be like, yeah, you know, but if I wore a cannibal corp shirt, it was, you know, the freaking stereotype of like name five bands or name five songs by that band. And it's like, well, like, what is this? Why are you here? Female? <laughs> yeah. See, it, that's why I don't want to comment on it. I didn't, I, I, I never <laughs> did that to anyone, but nobody ever did that no. to me. Um, but I mean, I will be honest, like uh, if you didn't dress the part, you know, even during the new metal movement, if you just came like, like a dude, yeah, people weren't cool. I I felt that more in punk rock shows. Like I, 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 I remember really specific, like a warp tour back in like 2000 where it's like Pennywise would play. Right. And then you'd have like all these like jockey dudes and then you'd have all these like punk rocker type dudes. And all of a sudden there'd be fights everywhere. You know, or I've seen so many more brawls at like Dropkick Murphy shows opposed to metal shows. But I've also been to so many Slayer shows in my my life or, or Pantera. I remember going to Slayer and Pantera and there's a bunch of dudes with like fucking Nazi shit on them in the middle of the pit running around. So all that stuff, unfortunately, you know, even though we're going back 20 years, was part of the scene when it was like at its most popular, at its peak. And let's be honest, like thrash metal of the 80s and then that new metal rise with the corns and the Limp biscuits and all that shit, that was peak shit. That was arena selling shit where I don't, you know, uh, uh, besides the nostalgic band, there isn't a lot of, if there's any, you know, ghost maybe, arena bands of this era. And we are much more inclusive and better, but the stigma, that doesn't go away, right, Josh? No, it, it, you have to think about how many years it was like that. It was a lot of years like that. And it was a lot of years where no matter what gender you were, no matter what you look like, no matter what, if you had, if you wanted to be a metal fan, you had to jump, jump through so many hoops just to be accepted by the community. And exceptionally many more hoops if you were any sort of minority group, like female or anything else that traditionally wasn't, uh, somebody who liked metal, you know, like there's all these stereotypes that metal seems to be wanting to fight, but metal fans want to hold on to, you know, it just never made sense to me. It's like, just because somebody likes rap and metal doesn't make them less of a metal fan. Like that is not how music works. <laughs> like It's just not. But you know, there's, there is, a, I understand that that's not how music works now, but we can honestly say that we, we, it did work like that for years. For oh a yeah. Long time. I yeah. mean, I can't tell you how many artists I talked about in the like in the eighties were like, well, I had my secret stash of vinyls over there, 
And then when I have my friends over, these are the ones that they can see. You know, like I'm hiding the Blondie record. You know, but they can come. <laughs> no problem. I'll pull out GBH right now. Black flag. Let's go. But, you know, the Blondie record's in the closet <laughs> right next to Cheap Tricks Dream Police. They can't yeah. see that shit. But when they leave, it's like Dream Police. You know, like that's what I'm trying to say. So let me, let me, because yeah. I, I took the headline, let me just take the quote of what Monkey said so everybody sees. Because I, I mean, what he said verbatim, I'll go right now. Uh, when he's asked about metal, it's definitely gotten bigger. I think people have kind of embraced it. And I think the stigmata, he said stigmata, the taboo of metal bands has kind of gone away for the most part. I think people that aren't into that music, they associate the skulls and the fire with heavy metal. And it's not that. We resonate with this type of music. It makes us feel sort of like a complete person when we have this aggressive music or whatever you want to call it. It makes us feel like, I don't know, it completes our soul, I guess. That's what he said. And then he went on to say that it's a community Though there's religion and there's politics out there, and there's so much division, and the metal community is so inclusive and united. We just played the other night with Judas Priest, Kiss, and Corn, and they loved every single band. So, in essence, what he's saying is that at the concerts, at the venues, at the shows in modern times, I agree with him. We are inclusive. I don't. I don't disagree. It's just. I mean, here's the thing, though: is what he's talking about is right. It's the. It's what it unites us as metal fans is we're all connected to primal rage, mm. and we all have a lot of like unresolved anger and we have learned a healthy outlet for that through metal and the problem with that is is it's not always people looking for a healthy outlet that are going to resonate with metal you know not everyone is there to express you know sometimes people are just angry they're just angry and that's just is what it is you know yeah it's great we have this like unification you know through being like yeah the world sucks sometimes but i love this music and it makes me feel like i have some power and i'm a badass and i could take on the world but at the same time we can't deny the fact that there's people out there that are actively trying to tarnish the reputation of metal i mean that's really what they're doing at the end of the day no i don't disagree there's a lot of people that are fans that are hate first yeah you know um and that kind of segues into the next story we want to talk about um, Def Leppard's Phil Collin. I love Def Leppard. I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan. Um, and, uh, well, I'm a huge, you know, I don't know. I just, I, I just, I've seen them live recently and I just think they're one of those bands. We all know about your leopard skin legging collection. Hysteria is a perfect record, people. I don't hate it. Come on, you know. I'm just saying. Def Leppard's great. I mean, you cannot, you've never had a Def Leppard song come on and been like, oh, skip it. Never. I, I can't promise that, but <laughs> I, I can, can I can I can promise that on on, on the records I'm talking about. Yeah, I, I, I get in, I get in the sound, in the vibe, in the moment. I'm like, I'm on the journey every time. So I'm a fan of Def Leppard. Phil Collin, he said that he lacks faith in the future of rock, and uh, he hears stuff that's not inspired. Um, I'm gonna go on record here, Jaws, and you can disagree with me or agree with me on this, but I feel like if you are established, you grew up in a certain time. Um, and I feel this way when it comes to a lot of the modern day politics with the youth and all those things. Like I, I listen, I stay out of the way. I'm like, yo, my generation, I'm here. I, I got through this. However I got through it and I'm in a good place. And I, I've, I, I haven't gotten in the way. I haven't, haven't heard people, but I'm here to listen. I'm not here to tell you how to live your life. This is kind of how I feel. I feel a lot of the established artists out there that aren't just praising new bands because, they don't listen to them as often, and I get that, and I do. Um, I feel like that's really something we gotta like just coach them to be like, dude, just say the new stuff is amazing. Just, just 
go out there, find well, one band, and promote the shit out of Because you're right. You're right. It's never a valid opinion because they're not listening to the music. They're not participating in the, in the communities. They're not. And it's so wild to me. I mean, I don't know if you feel this way, but I've been a metal fan for more than half my life, actively listening to the opinions of people in metal. It blows my mind. How many generations do we have to have get old and go, oh, these kids don't know what good music is before we realize that we're repeating a pattern? You know, like mm. it's it's like a, your dad said that about your music, dummy. Like just because you don't resonate with a, a type of music does. It's like the rap versus metal thing. It's it's like every other genre not being valid once you hit the, the metal sphere. Just because you don't like something doesn't mean it's bad. This is such a weird thing that people can't get in their heads. You know, people will say unequivocal, just superlatives. Like, this is the worst music I've ever heard. And you're like, really? Is it, though? Is it? And, and I think what he's saying is that who's the next, you know, Metallica, right? And I, I bring up Ghost because, like I said, I know that they can sell an arena out here in Las Vegas. But I'm going to read his quote real quick just so everybody understands it. Um, and I'm not speaking out of place. He said that Metallica's great when you see him. There's a big difference. Guns and Roses are awesome. I don't see that anymore. I don't see that star power. I don't see that kind of thing. So that's what I'm waiting for. There hasn't been any of that. Nirvana was, obviously. Foo Fighters is an offshoot of Nirvana. And I love the Foo Fighters. I think they're great. But when Nirvana came out, I was like, whoa, this is amazing. The Sex Pistols, amazing. But I'm waiting. I'm still waiting. I don't blame the bands. Fans are different now. There's so much entertainment out there. There's so, I think about like, hey, I, I, I brought up star power and like movie stars. What, what movie star will just get them at the box office? You know, that's not tied to something. Um, you know, like that's and under the age of 30. We don't really right? have movie stars anymore. But we don't. That's, and that's where, that's where I don't speak about it because, and I agree, we don't have movie stars and we don't have rock stars, you know, um, as much. The Everything's a hook. Yeah, and the and, and and you know me growing up and my time frame, and this doesn't relate to the modern time a lot. Is that you know, um, if you wanted to be rock and roll, if you wanted to be an artist, it was a big middle finger to society. You can't fit in at all, and you're gonna be like, I'm gonna live a completely different life. I'm not gonna do anything people are telling me what to do. I'm gonna create. I'm gonna do what I want, and I'm gonna make a living out of it. Right, and you can do that in a in, in a certain way, right? Back then, there was an audience that was drawn to those personalities. They were drawn to that. They were wanting to create and help people with dreams and all that kind of stuff, right? Content creator now, it's not the same as an artist. It's not the same as someone dying for their beliefs. There's so much more marketing involved, so much more of a hook to it. So you can't have the rock and roll life story, but you still have influencers with star power but it's not a talent and that's maybe mm-hmm. where he's i mean it is a talent in its own right but i mean like when i'm talking about a talent like you know we've talked about many times when the first time i heard lizzie hale's voice live i'm like holy shit goosebumps right and you're like whoa or chris cornell when i was like 94 when i first heard him belt out jesus christ pose i just stood there and like transfixed like whoa first time i saw danzig on a stage i'm like that's the guy from the you know, or Manson or, but that was we, the consumer, the audience, that's what we needed. We needed special. We needed different. And you had to be different to survive. Rock music hasn't, and the audience hasn't demanded different. And if they, no, it's been the same, it's been the same for a long time. We've, we've, we've had the same style. We've had the same, 
subgenres. Mm-hmm. We've had the same things. And I think that that's what, like, the problem is with the statement of his is that he's sort of denying the star power of people like Ghost. Just because you don't resonate with them doesn't deny the fact that they have paved their entire own shit. And they are the people who love Ghost. The first time they heard them, it was that was their experience. Yeah. You know, they're fucking rabid, they're fans. You know, it's it, it's real. It's it's still out there. I think that what people just don't want to give way for is the fact that metal isn't going to look the way that we thought it's going to look forever. You know, it just can't in order for it to evolve. And, and the bands that are headliners of a generation, let it be the Five Finger Death Punches, the Shinedowns, or the Nickelbacks a couple of years back, they're not they're not traditionally cool. Their fan base isn't changing some sort of art or genre. They're dad, they're dad bands. Yeah, and they're and they're they're pulling in the fans. And I, in a lot of ways, I think that he's saying that. But if you know, I feel like every generation is going to have a lot of bands that are like pretty much you know mediocre that find a great audience or have a couple great songs and break through. You know, not every generation is going to have four different bands. When he brings up like you know Nirvana, yeah. The big four bands of grunge were what? Nirvana, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, and Pearl Jam, right? And they all sound completely different. That was also at a time when payphones were still actively being used regularly. Oh, yeah. So it's not, you know, it's not also, it's also accounting for the fact that people had to actively seek out entertainment all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not saying that that's not a bad thing that that people don't have to do that anymore. I'm just saying it's the reality has changed. Nirvana became huge because when people found them, it was a revolutionary thing for you. It was an emotional revolution. There's no way you would have found them unless God put them in your fucking path that day. On the internet, everybody sees the same shit. We all know what's going on all the time. We know who's new, who's old, who's, who's done something untoward, who, who's having a baby. Like We know everything. Mm. It's a totally different experience consuming music and i think that that's why it's just never going to hit the same way i don't disagree and it's different the audiences are 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 split up now they're just split up the the youth are we used to all take in the same three television networks or something like that so there was a relating thing to be like what'd you do on uh sunday night i watched the simpsons and married with children what did you do i watched whatever you know and yeah that's not even like that's not even on the table there the choices are out there so I think that there are bands out there that are very inspired. I do think there are bands as good as Nirvana, Guns N' Roses, the Sex Pistols, all that stuff. But I think that our us, you know, the newer consumers and the newer audiences, unfortunately, like a, it's just not on the same. It's not going to have the same weight, you know. And that's one thing that I get depressed about because art is my religion. Art's my best friend. It's it's the greatest thing. I I strive to consume it and and really resonate with it and it teaches me to be human and all that stuff and for it not to have that mainstream pool you know where entertainment does no doubt we're all being entertained for sure there was a book i read called entertained to death um and it 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 it, you know it's cynical but it was a phenomenal book it's from the 80s but anyways um and i think that for me because i i did experience it through my growing up that art, that beauty, all that stuff, I just kind of stay out of the way, and I hope the new generation finds it in a different avenue. Yeah, but I don't think that it's going to go away completely, because I think we are human. We're doomed to cycle. We're cyclers. That's how we do. And more and more people are spending less time on the Internet. We're just, we just are. And I, I have found that metalhead parents are 
creating little metalhead children who have a different appreciation for music and art and things like that. And I do feel like things are coming back. You know, kids are reading books like To Kill a Mockingbird and Catcher in the Rye again. You know, things are becoming popular that weren't before art being creative making your own clothes dressing the way you want saying fuck you to gender stereotypes you know that's all popular again and that's what it was like right at the beginning of the 80s late 70s right before rock had a big revolution so i have a lot of faith still because i don't think humans are smart enough to not repeat their mistakes and i think we're bored with the internet and i think enough rock and roll bands are going to come out that are really going to impress us i mean nobody people can tell me what they want about whatever band they want but I'll never forget the first time I heard the Pretty Reckless, you know, for a woman who loves metal, like hearing a rock voice like that from people like from people like Taylor Momsen and Lizzie Hale, that shit will never get old. It will never get old. No. I know that we it won't. No, it won't. So no. I have faith. Yeah. I have faith. I have faith. Yeah. Ta- you know? Taylor Momsen, the first time I heard her sing Goosebumps as well live, I was like, whoa, dude. Okay. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, I was kind of negative about all that. Some TV star. Cindy Lou Who. Ooh. Yeah, I know. This I know. Got, this girl can. She's a rock star, pipes, bro. Dude. Yeah, pipes. pipes. She's a, and she she's smokes great. cigarettes, and she's still got pipes. You know? Speaking of she's smoking cigarettes. Uh oh. Mm, no, this is it's, it's a clean segue. Phil Anselmo smokes oh. cigarettes. <laughs> Lead singer of Pantera. My favorite. One of my. Your definition of clean segue is. That, there is no such thing as a clean segue, Joss. There's no. <laughs> there is no such thing as a clean segue. Don't be crazy. You just segue. You just segue. You left it on a high note. You said Taylor Momsen. I said Ghost. We gave Phil Collin two rock stars that he can go get inspired by. Right. We did good. Segue over to nostalgia. Right. Let's do it. Phil Anselmo sings. And smokes cigarettes like crazy. My favorite band on the planet is Down, Kirk, Pepper, Phil, Crowbar, Corrosion, Pantera. I listen to those bands probably more than, I don't know, anything. I love those guys. So anyways, Pantera Reunion, we already discussed it. You guys got our take on it. It's made with love. You got a little Charlie Banane on, on, on the drum kit. You got a little Zach Wilde. We are pro it. But Phil did say a statement that uh, some people were a little bit shocked to hear because... It's easy to question. This week, uh, he did speak on the Pantera Union. He said, I know Diamond Vinnie Paul would want the legacy and the name of Pantera to go on. Okay. Well, I believe they would want the legacy and name of Pantera to go on. (laughs) I don't know because we knew Vinnie Paul that he would ever have reunited. So, in essence, the legacy and name of Pantera... Um, we'll go on with or without Phil and Rex reuniting. Um, but I, I, I just wish he was kind of like, look, I want the fans to hear these songs. We made these songs. It's all a good, uh, you know, but, um, that's a valid reason. That yeah. was your reasoning when we talked about it, I think a couple weeks ago or whenever we talked about it is that that is what, that's a valid reason. But, but to me, and this is just a thing that I, and I kind of said it last time, Speaking for Vinny and speaking for Dime is not cool. It's not cool. Exceptionally when you had beef with them when they were alive. And they vocally talked about the fact that they didn't want this to happen. So for you to just write off what Vinny said, especially when it came to the death of his family member, it's just... Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's not... Look. It's not... It doesn't ring... 
authentic to me. It rings, it's giving me money grab. That's what I'm feeling. And it's stopping, it's starting to feel less like an attempt to continue to push metal fans into the community and more of an attempt to just put yourself back in the spotlight. I mean, all those are fair, valid arguments. I, I, this is, this is, like I said, there, this is a thin line. Pantera reunion. Do it out of love. Do it out of respect. Don't forget Vinny and Dime and all that stuff. And I, and I, and I said that last time we spoke about it. But yeah, the the thin line is definitely the line that I feel is across is saying what Dime and Vinny would want. Um, yeah. And I think that Phil and Rex should stay away from from that in the media. Um, again, I don't want to completely misquote the guy, so I'll read the entire little par- little paragraph quote that we have here time-stamped. Uh, Dimebag and Vince always wanted this band to be a legacy band, to be massive, and to be our own conduit to success. Simply put, I think Dime and Vince, I know Dime and Vince, would want the legacy in the name of Pantera to go on and on and on in everybody's damn face. I know that for sure. Absolutely, dude. That would be their biggest dream. So, it's weird. It's worse when you read it. <laughs> sometimes, it, not 90, 90% of the time, it's better. And sometimes you read the whole full quote, and it's like, fuck, bro. Shit. I mean, he's like, and even you, if you think they wouldn't think this, 100% guarantee they would think this if they were. I don't <laughs> scroll down ever and read comment sections, but, like, you know the comment section on this is no good, right? You just know you're going to go in here and get some toxic. You're like, I don't want to read anything. But there's going to be people being like, what? Did he just fuck well, Googled himself? Does he know how some people see him? Like, does he know <laughs> that he, he should maybe run what he says through a filter before he just pops off? The reason he's loved is because he doesn't do that. Um, I'm just—it's—I yeah, mean, it's a double-edged sword. The reason he's loved is because he doesn't do that. But be, he's also loved. But there's also those Homer Simpson doe moments all through Phil's career where you're like, "Oh my oh, god, that's a that yeah, that one's got to go away." Anyways, hey, it's, it's literally like your friend who doesn't know how to talk to girls, and you go out <laughs> with him for the first time, and you're like, "I can never do this with you again." It, this was so embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> I had a friend. Let me just, uh, we'll, we're going to jump into our interview with Danny Elfman, guys, right now. Okay. But let me just tell this quick story that I had a friend because you brought that up. And he was one of those dudes. Great dude. Got nothing bad to say. I'm not going to call him out on the show. We're at a wedding. I'm sitting next to him at a bar and um, at this wedding venue. And, and there's a girl right there. And he was like, oh, I want to talk to this girl all night. And she just rolled up on the bar next to him to order a drink. Starts talking to her. Oh, I'm, I'm listening in. I'm good. And you know what? It's like two minutes in. It seemed like everything was fine. He goes, you know, one time in school, I, I pissed my or I poop I poop my pants on my way to lunch. And no, I, I didn't want. No, no. Swear to God, I didn't want to miss a history test. So I just drove back to class because this was a big history test. I took the test, and everybody was like, "What's that smell?" And I was just so embarrassed. I'm sitting there listening to this. And this girl, I look over because I'm like, I got to see this reaction. It's the comment section with Phil, right? I look over and she's like, it's nice to meet you. And she just bounces. And like, <laughs> well, you know when a girl walks away and then rolls her eyes during the walk away? And I, and I looked at him. I'm like, dude, dude. He's, he's like, well, that didn't work out. I'm like, what the? What, the? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> what was the strategy there? Where, 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 what, where, was, what was the brag? Where was this coming from? But that, yeah, that was the story. And you're just like, dude. You want to coach, right? I don't coach, though. I don't, yeah. I don't give advice. Nobody takes yeah. advice. I don't Phil give Phil just shit his pants yeah. on the way to he, he's, he's like, let me, let, let me tell you the story of when I sharded <laughs> in court. <laughs> let me let me tell you a story is when I farted real loud at church. <laughs> you know, like, it's like it's not a 
it's not a vibe, but you know, <laughs> what, 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 what more can we expect from Philly boy? You know? Yeah. Hey, we love Would him. Would he be Phil? I'll still be there at the Pantera <laughs> reunion, dude. And everybody, I'm not, I'm not saying bad, but Hey, let's, let's, let's hope they don't keep speaking for Vincent dime. Let's, let's, yeah, let's not. Let's, I, I just feel like such an easy way to be like, I can't talk for those guys, but you, the, the fans are demanding the music. Like there's such a, so many angles, so many angles. So easy. It's literally like there was a thousand good things he could say and only one bad thing. And he found the one bad thing. abso dude. <laughs> it's a legacy bad, dude. Son of a gun. Anyways. With that, Jocelyn, it's time for the bread and butter. The reason we are here, man. The reason we even talk about this show. Everybody, get ready. We are promoting Bigger, messier. It's coming out August twelfth. Reimagine or remix tracks from last year's awesome, awesome Danny Elfman record. Big mess, guys. Let's jump into my interview with the one and only Danny Elfman. Everybody, what's going on, Petter? Metal Sucks Podcast. On the phone, I have Danny Elfman, and we are here to celebrate Bigger, Messier. It's coming out August twelfth. It is a remix and reimagination of last year's Big Mess album. Now. First question I want to ask you, Danny, is uh, when creating a work this collaborate, you know, collaboration with so many artists, what's the first vibe you prefer when you pick your artists? Trusting them and knowing what you're going to get or curiosity and having no idea what's going to come out of the plate? Oh, definitely. <laughs> it's a good question. Uh, curiosity. Because the whole idea with this type of project is just to throw it out there to people who you admire and have no idea what they're going to give you back. And that's kind of the fun of it, too. I mean, it's like it's in their court. I don't want to try to tell them what to do. You know, um, I just the only input I gave anybody was have fun with it. Go crazy if you want and uh, see you on the other side. <laughs> nice, nice. And that, those notes are important because like you have been a collaborator your whole life. So, you know, that sometimes more notes can get in the way, but trusting the curiosity, I think, is such a fun part of art. Now, one thing I did want to bring up, because, you know, obviously, this is a companion piece to Big Mess, last year's record, which we loved very, very much. But um, Big Mess starts off with an apology, the track Sorry, right? But we start off bigger, messier with We Belong, the final track of part one on the new album. Tell me about that sequencing and kind of why we decided instead of to start off this new collaboration with the apology to we belong you know honestly i didn't think about it that way um you know when i sequenced big mess i started with sorry because that was the first piece i wrote for big mess and i feel like big mess happened because i started that song and that opened the gate so i kind of felt like that was the kind of initiator of the whole thing and that I should lead with that song. So when I was sequencing uh, Big Mess, it was easy to kind of look at it. But then when I was doing the remix album, I was with uh, Stu Brooks and, and Barrett Gilma, who were working with me to sequence. Uh, it wasn't important for me to make a statement in terms of the sequencing having meaning for me. It was really just more of an idea of what feels good in what way and trying to create kind of a flow. And uh, so in that case, the three of us kind of worked together and tried different things. When, when I was doing Big Mess, I was totally on my own. And I just felt like, sorry, leads. Um, 
you know, the original intention with Coachella was to come out there and do this one new song that I had, which was really crazy and open with that. <laughs> and I remember my managers begging me, don't do that. I mean, really open with something they love, open with something they know, and then ease into it. I go, no, I want to come out there and just see everybody looking at me with a kind of, what the fuck is this look? I mean, to me, that's priceless. And um, of course, you know, the show got canceled and then finally rescheduled. So I didn't have the uh, surprise element anymore, but I still wanted to lead the album the same way I wanted to lead that show with, with that song. And I did like the fact that you brought up the, the messaging in, in original album, Big Mess, was such an important part of it as those 18 songs grew with us listening, the booklet, the lyrics, all that stuff, very important stuff to us. Now, Bigger, Messier, it seems like it does take a lead on the musical side. Um, yeah. Or did you feel like, why was that so important on this remixed, reimagined version for you to have the music pretty much channel the sequencing opposed to the emotion on the first record? Well, again, when you're playing an album for the first time of anybody's music, you know, the sequencing is kind of telling a little bit of a story of what the artist is, where they're at at the moment. And in my case with Big Mess, my songs were coming out almost like two competing writers, as I've often said, that don't like each other, which is something I've experienced for years. And literally by the time I was only at six songs out of 18, I already called my manager and I said, this is gonna be a weird album because it's already shaping up to be two separate albums. I mean, um, I'll, and um, and so it was kind of like this interesting evolution uh, with Big Mess of how the songs were coming out and then how I felt like I wanted them to be perceived. But again, for the, for the remix album, I felt like that's more something you want to put the vinyl on and just like, you know, you're chilling or you're doing whatever you're doing and just kind of have it play. And so it's less about the statement of content than it is about the vibe of the pieces. And that's something that you've given us your entire career, which is I'm used to that in a lot of ways, to getting that vibe and stuff like that. But that was what was so, um, I guess, just such a, a uh, an exhale for me when I got Big Mass last year, you know? And, and that was something about that. Now, when you were creating, you, you mentioned that it started off with six songs and Coachella was a big part of writing that record. How many of those 18 songs, when you originally envisioned it, do you feel like you were completely in control of creating? And how many of them were you like, I have to make this because it's in me right now and I'm motivated? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, really, only the first two songs, which was Sorry and Happy, that I feel like I was in control of. The next, uh, all the rest, just kind of, it was like more like Pandora's box opened and I couldn't shut it. And um, finally, uh, my manager and I, we had to make an arbitrary deadline because I told her, I said, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like obsessive with my work always, but I've never not had a deadline. I mean, literally in 40 years, I haven't not had a deadline. Everything I do has deadlines and I'm deadline oriented. I'm wired that way. Whether it's a film score or a classical work, I mean, classical works have deadlines no different than film scores. They have to be delivered by a certain day. And, um, or anything else I've done, it's deadlined. And suddenly I'm writing and it's like, oh my God, nobody knows I'm doing this. There's no deadline. There's no expectation. 
I'll just keep going. And um, so we kind of came up with an arbitrary deadline. We said, okay, you know, I started like April, May, and then we said, let's let make August the cutoff. And I think I wrote one more into September. Uh, but, you know, we, we did that because otherwise I just wouldn't stop. <laughs> so it, it, they really just kind of, you know, uh, came out in weird, you know, nonstop go, go, go. Even insects, which was an old Boingo song, which I had no I'd intention of including a Boingo song originally, but I got this riff in my head and I go, somehow this is connected with insects. I, I don't even know why. I think because maybe when I was preparing again for Coachella, I was starting to think of like new arrangements for things, leaving my mind open to that. And I really liked the arrangement that I came up with. And it felt fresh enough. I said, all right, I, I got to put this on Big Mess. So even that just kind of came out of nowhere. But it, it was just all this nonstop process. I was in quarantine, um, isolated, angry, and frustrated. You know, it's like this <laughs> real perfect combination of elements that just get you doing something, whether it's like, writing a novel, making an album, or working out, or, you know, hopefully not going on some kind of tri-state killing spree, you know, but it's just, it's going to breed all kinds of crazy things out of people. And, you know, those of us that are artists, writers definitely had an advantage. Um, you know, in quarantine, uh, my novelist friend wrote a novel, I wrote this double album, you know, performers that I know were just in the most awful, awful state. Musicians, dancers, people involved with theater. And so it, it was a weird thing that I, I almost felt guilty about it, that being a writer, being a composer, you know, going into isolation, well, that's kind of what our life is about anyhow. So being driven into further isolation just forced us in further into deeper, mind deeper, you know. And uh, so in a weird way, it it hit everybody I know who was a writer did something interesting in that period while we, our hearts were broken for our performer friends, you know, who were just out of work and nothing, you know, if you're an actor, what in the world can you do? You know, if films are shut down, mm -hmm, but that if you're a director, if you're, a, if you're a cinematographer, if you're a theater performer, if you're a dancer, if you're a musician, it's like, Oh my God. So, you know, I, I lucked out in that department and big mess was a product of that. Yes. That, that lesson of empathy that we all got, I think is very important for those that w could not take advantage. And it was important for us to take advantage like you did, which is really, really cool. Now, one thing I did want to bring up, um, because you just said you were so used to a deadline your entire life on every project. And then this one did not have a deadline and you're like, I'm just going to be organic about it and run out with my feelings, um, and just do what you want to do now, which do you prefer having both of those now? Are you always going to want that deadline or will you just keep going? <laughs> That's a really good question. I have to think about that. Um, I do think that if I don't have deadlines, I'll do what I did with Big Mess and create a deadline for myself. Mm. Um, because I just need to feel pushed every day to get myself, you know, into the studio and working to feel like I've got a door is going to close at a certain point and I have to do the very best I can before that door closes. And that just kind of pushes me along. So um, I think I need that. 
Mm-hmm. And, and um, that, do you know when to say when if you don't give yourself a deadline on a song? Like when you're like, okay, I'm done with this song. Is that something that took years to figure out? Because for me, I've always wanted to keep tinkering with something when I don't have to turn it in. Do you have well, that that's problem? Exactly, that's exactly it. Yeah. I mean, look, I would still be writing Pee-wee's Big Adventure <laughs> if I didn't have that deadline. I'd still be trying to get it right. You know, 38 years later, I'd be still trying to get it right. And um, so, yeah, the the it's a tough, it's a good question. It's a tough one to answer. When is it done? Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, I try to keep it spontaneous. So I am a believer that there's a point where you can over tinker something to death. And I think everybody's got to deal with that question that writes or composes, whether a songwriter or you know, a, a word writer or whatever. It's like, at what point is like, it's still fresh and this is a good place to let go of it. Or at what point do you just keep bearing down on it and bearing down it? And if you do, are you actually improving it? Or is it getting more diluted somehow in this process? And so I've always been kind of into, when it comes to songwriting, working quickly you know, with Oingo Boingo, um, you know, suddenly we'd have six weeks uh, before we have to do an album and I'd just go into this heavy duty writing mode. But um, I do kind of, part of me believes that uh, you can't overdo it. Overdoing with, with a song, it's just not a good thing. You know, you just kind of try to keep it fresh. You know, with an orchestral composition, like a really big, thing like a concerto which i did two of in the last couple of years also that's harder because you've got all these elements and you've got really dense orchestration and there's almost no point that you can't improve the orchestration in some part of it takes this section and rework the voicings and try to get something that comes out better but with the song it's really different it's got to feel like it just happened and it's an expression. And so I try to always bear that in mind, you know, because um, uh, I think, you know, probably if I looked at the history of like songs I really like over my lifetime, I, I wager that most of them were written pretty fast and just kind of happened. So I, I try to like monitor myself and go, no, don't overdo it. It's fine. Don't overdo it. Don't overthink it because that's the worst. Mm-hmm. If you really, if you overthink it and you start to get your brain around why this is or isn't or could or couldn't be, you know, then there's kind of no way out of that labyrinth for me with my brain. So I try to like finish it and move it along before I get myself stuck in a loop that I'm not going to get out of very easily of like, is it or isn't it? Is it? I'm two minds of everything. So, you know, I, Everything I do, part of me is like, yeah, it's done. Part of me is like, no, damn, no, it's not done. You could do better than that. And so I just try to find a balance between those two. Dude, awesome. And I, I one more time, just so everybody knows, the reason I'm talking to Danny right now, got bigger, messier. It's coming out August 12th. Make sure you guys are pre-ordering it, picking it up. We're going to talk about it to the guests in a little bit. It's an hour and 40 minutes. It's fantastic, guys. Make sure you're picking it up. And obviously the record that's inspired it, Big Mess, which came out last year. Now, I want to talk about the artwork on these projects, which I loved very much. When I first saw the videos, the cover, it's it's frightening. It's frustration incarnate almost. And like 
cynically anxious, you know? So I'm just like looking at every image of you and all this art. Tell me about what you were going for and, and how you really knocked it out of the park with the visual part of these <laughs> records. Well, thank you. I mean, um, it's always been kind of a big deal to me. And the big disappointment of uh, albums becoming CDs mm -hmm. was losing that artwork, the impact of the artwork. Because I remember, I think it was my third or album back with Oingo Boingo in the 80s where A&M Records, they said, by the way, we won't be doing vinyl anymore. And I'm like, what? You're kidding. And suddenly it's like, okay, we got these CDs. Well, I guess it's okay. But you know, the cover is like this big. It's like, it's a, it's a tiny little thing. It's just, you know, your booklet is a tiny little booklet. And I always missed that. And so I was so happy when I came out of hibernation a quarter century, you know, after letting it go. And it's like, vinyl is back. Yeah, great. And so I'm, I'm always thinking visually. In fact, the reason I took the Coachella gig after like a decade of turning them down and not wanting to be involved and no, no, no. And Laura, my manager finally got me out there and I saw those big screens and I said, this is really inspiring. You know, the last time I was at a concert, I'd never, I didn't see huge hundred foot high definition images the way they had it now worked out. And that really inspired me. And I said, I want to do a show because I was really thinking visual and, um, so as I approached Big Mess, it was really important to me. I wasn't sure what I was going to do. So I was working with my creative director. Her name is Barrett Gilma. And um, uh, she led me to Sarah Sitkin via, via um, it's kind of a weird, <laughs> I'm trying to think of the easy way to explain this. Okay, when I was doing the video for Happy mm -hmm. with Aaron Johnson, um, I did a 3D scanning and the concept would just do this kind of weird 3D scan of my head singing. And Aaron sent me to this studio to get scanned, 3D scan, which is a complicated process, like this rig with 30 cameras moving around you 360 degrees, taking thousands of pictures. And um, after that process, which I really enjoyed, um, Barrett said, you know, Sarah is not just a 3D scanning person. She's an amazing artist. And I, I went online and, and checked out her stuff and I was like, holy shit, she's really amazing. But I also felt like her work and my sensibility was really tied. So I went back to Sarah and I said, can we do another round? But this time, let's just think on a much broader level. Let's think of the, the whole body and the whole album. And, and she went crazy and she was firing me stuff and I got so inspired by that. It just became actually part of the process, you know, cause I was still working on the album and uh, she would send me like pictures in the middle of the night cause she would work all night long and I'd get, you know, last I go to bed around two 30 in the morning and I'd always have like three or four, like, wow shots. And then when I woke up in the morning, I would see like six more that she would be doing four or five, six in the morning. And, um, and she kept saying, Am I shocking you yet? And I kept saying back, no fucking way. <laughs> You're not going to. Good luck with that. And um, then finally I had all these images and I just said, you know what? It's going to be 100% Sarah because the, these images of me are expressing how I feel. And it really locked right into the sensibility of the album and my mind 
And it just felt like a perfect match. And so I just kind of went back to the drawing board and I took these images and I redesigned the whole package. And I begged them at Epitaph to give me a tri-folding triptych cover that I could really have fun with. And, and I just got deep into it. And um, it was like, uh, it was just so fun for me to be looking at these big, extreme graphics again and like open up open up this whole thing it's like this is this is like a piece of art now and um so i just really got into that side of it and um and it wasn't important as was the videos you know it's like i never expected when i made big mess you know last time i made records back in the 90s you know you do one video you do an album you do a video and here i think we've done eight already or maybe nine coming out soon and um, again, I got to really have fun. I really enjoyed that process, exploring new technologies, AI, using motion capture animation with, with uh, Sam Rolfs and his studio, and um, uh, just turning Sarah Sitkin loose, turning Aaron Johnson loose on another video. Um, it just... Uh, it was just really a fun process for me. I, I love that side of it because underneath the surface of this composer is a frustrated, you know, probably there's another reality where I would be of some kind of performance artist or a visual artist. And, you know, you got to remember, I started out in theater before I was in a band for seven years. I was in a theater troupe. So theatricality and imagery and visuals are kind of wired into my DNA. Dude, yes. And it is, everybody, if you haven't, make sure you get the physical copy. Like you said, the vinyl. I have the CD, but the vinyl is important because these images and the artwork put, done with it are great. Check out the videos, all that stuff, guys. Because like I said, it, it's one of those things where I paused. You know, a lot of times when I get a record before I hear it, I have to look at everything and be like, I know what I'm in for right now. And then I put it on and I'm like, it all just, it all just correlated like perfectly which is, I believe, the dream of everybody that puts out music, you know, is to make sure it all makes sense together, and it did. Um, and that, to talk about a collaboration real quick, I did want, oh, um, I just wanted to bring up one right now, and that's the Iggy Pop collaboration. Now, kick, <laughs> kick me, I don't know, what. maybe it's just because it's Iggy now, and I just, it's, he's been, my, you know, such a fan, and then he's teaming up with you on this, but the track just gave me, like, this uncontrollable smile. I'm just happy to hear it completely. Um, and it was a really unique and great rendition that is on this new record. So tell crazy, crazy, right? Crazy. It is such yeah. a cool thing. And tell me about the collaboration, the notes, and how did you guys get this together for the track "Kick Me"? You know, all those collaborations. It's like I was too shy even to send out tracks to anybody, you know. And it was all kind of initiated by Stu Brooks, my bass player. It's like, come on, Danny, let's you know, let's get into some of this. And I was like, no, I love the idea of it, but no one's going to want to work with me. I kept saying the same thing. No one wants to work with me. And, you know, then suddenly it's like, what the fuck? I'm two tracks from Trent Reznor. I got Blixa Bargeld, you know, because it all started with, you know, who are some icons of yours? And I would say, well, you know, I that Neubotten, you know, um, God, I, I can never say their name pronounced properly. Uh, but Blixa Bargeld, the German industrial band, uh, it's always been a big inspiration for me, even though I struggle with their first name. Uh, and uh, Trent Reznor, of course, Nine Inch Nails, you know, huge inspiration. Iggy Pop, David Bowie, well, Bowie's gone. You know, so he'd ask me, like, who would you, who are voices you'd love to work with? And I would go, 
well, you know, Trent Reznor, um, David Bowie, uh, John Lennon. It's like, oops, those aren't going to happen. Iggy Pop. So it's like, well, you know, let's send some stuff to Iggy. And Iggy's not going to want to hear from anything. So in, next thing I know, it's like I get an email from Iggy. And which just that alone was the coolest fucking thing in the world for me, you know, just to get an email. And he explains, I really enjoy this track. And it's very eloquent. In essence, he's going, I consider myself more of a voice actor than a singer. And my approach would be kind of conversational as if having, and he describes this whole thing. And he goes, so I don't know if this is what you're thinking or if this is too outside the box for you, but you know, um, I would love to take a crack. And I just wrote him back saying, anything you want, <laughs> I am more than happy to uh, indulge. I, I, I gave him absolutely no direction because he already had a concept. So I just basically say, God bless you, go, <laughs> go, go, man, go. And, um, and he came back with this track and it was just almost exactly what he described in the email, this kind of weird conversation, oratory over the piece. And uh, he works um, with this collaborator named Leon Thomas, um, who he explained, you know, Leon will work with me to create this track. And, and Leon just did this wild job of creating a new track out of it. I loved it. I, it was just such a treat, such an honor. And like you're saying, when I first heard it, it was just like a big smile. <laughs> it's just like, the thing is so whacked and so crazy. And then Iggy sent me one more email. He said, I think this is the craziest shit I've ever done. <laughs> Dude, people, make sure you pick up the record. August 12th, Bigger Messier. The track is amazing. So last question for you. Quick one. It's about the soundtrack world. I just want to ask you one real quick question because I'm such a fan. I've been going down that rabbit hole um, for so many years. And um, I always wonder what is preferred by someone like you. Like if you take a soundtrack, a lot of time it's a character in a film, you know, like, uh, like one that you did that I can think of off the top of my head is Midnight Run. I can't imagine it without that character. It's almost like a narrator throughout the film, your soundtrack. And then there's these moments where a director takes like a, a chance and it might not work that you have to capture the actor and what he's doing and get us in there. Like I can think of uh don't worry, you won't get far on foot when there was this epiphany moment for Joaquin Phoenix and Gus Van Sant does like a rolling scream. I think it's like Out of Reach was the track or something like that when he finally has his epiphany to stop drinking, right? So you have to capture that moment, but you have to pull us in with your music. Which do you like to do? Capture the moment or become the character for us in the film? Well, it's, it's both. You know, when a director does like set me loose you know i go at it you know it's like remember what i do i love to you know i i'm happiest when i can go at something totally and aggressively and so i try to bury myself in the film and go as far as the director will allow me to you know it's like almost you know i'm always on a leash but will that director give me a long leash like gus clearly gives me a long leash to run around on and um he allows me to experiment and try things. And, you know, he, he just doesn't have a lot of uh, preconceptions of like, oh, that's too weird, or that will never work. Or, you know, he, he's like very uh, much like open to anything. And so uh, I'm just, those are the moments that keep me doing it, you know, because obviously, you know, you're a composer, you have to serve the film and you have to serve the needs of the director. 
and you're constantly under those constraints and you do the best you can with it. But occasionally you get let out the gate just a little bit more. And those are the moments, you know, when I get them, I'll go, this is why I'm doing it. And this, you know, it's waiting for these moments. It's, it's kind of like being a, a racehorse or, you know, a racing dog. And, you know, you're like in the corral and in the corral and finally somebody like lets you out the gate, and lets you run, you know, you're a happy animal. Well, I'm kind of the same way. Beautiful, man. Beautiful. So everybody, one more time, I want to promote Danny before I let you go. Make sure you guys are picking up Bigger, Messier. It's coming out August 12th, guys. Remixed, reimagined tracks of the wonderful record you put out last year. And guys, make sure if you don't have it already in your hands, Big Mess is out right now. 18 songs. It's been such a journey, such a great career. You've done so much for us. And you nailed Pee Wee's Big Adventure 38 years ago. I just want to go. That's what we call a callback, right, in the interview. I just want to bring that back up. <laughs> so, thank you. Thank you, man. You're very welcome. So with that, Danny, I want to thank you so much, man, for giving us the time and the interview here on the Metal Sucks Podcast. Really my pleasure. Great talking to you.
All right, guys, and we are back. First song you heard is off the latest record, Bigger Messier. It's coming out August 12th, guys, from Danny Elfman. That is Danny Elfman and the one and only Trent Reznor. That track is called True. Second song you heard off the same record, Bigger Messier, August 12th. Danny Elfman and Iggy Pop. That track is called Kick Me. We talked about it in the interview. Guys, do not sleep on this. Fantastic reimagined remix tracks of that perfect record last year big mess is out if you haven't checked that one out but make sure you're picking up bigger messier it's coming out august 12th third song you guys heard is from a band that i've been digging and listening to man this record came out at the end of june it is mirror queen's latest record inviolate is the name of that track that is also the name of the album guys we love to play new songs for you give you a little taste of a different band mirror queen inviolate is out now make sure if you guys haven't checked out that band you definitely do i haven't stopped listening to it so with that I want to thank everybody out there for the five-star reviews we keep getting on the good old Apple iTunes. That is all we ask for as a podcast team. If you guys are listening, take the time to go over to Apple iTunes, click five stars. We don't need words. We don't need reviews. If you guys want to do that, that's cool. But that five-star number just climbing, that makes us happy. That makes us smile. Smile. There you go. See, Jocelyn's smiling. I see her. We got the video on today. It's 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 crazy. Yeah, the video's on. She's recording, too. Anyways, so uh, uh, make sure you guys are uh, doing that. And also supporting our other podcast, Rise to Offend. That is a documentary discussion podcast, completely different than this, where we take offensive figures in society and we kind of break down their life via their digital imprint. We did a six-hour episode on Phil Anselmo. So you guys can go back and hear all those Homer moments if you want, but also all the wonderful things he did as a musician, artist, and metal community personality also did peter Steele. also did chuck schuldiner also did uh all an array of topics guys uh, the podcast is rise to offend if you guys haven't checked it out make sure you go and do that i am watching married with children right now we did a five six hour episode on married with children and it was fun i don't know i just started watching it again out of nowhere i'm like let me see if this holds up Hell yeah it still does. I it does. It. It's I, so funny. I still love it's it. It's so funny. So, so with that, everybody, thank you guys. You guys are the best. Until next week. The Metal Sucks Podcast is signing off.